Please remain standing for our scripture reading from Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16. You can find the passage in your Pewback Bible on page 962. It will also be projected behind me. As you're turning to Matthew 5, I want to remind you that every week we go to the scriptures because it's there that we see the person and work of Jesus most clearly revealed. So hear these words from Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. My name is uh, Brandon, uh, one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights, um, and I want to say to you, to you gathering online, uh, what a privilege it is uh, to be uh, one of the pastors getting to help shepherd, lead, guide you. It is a joy and a privilege. Every one of you are a joy and a privilege. And so on behalf of our uh, elders and staff, we, uh, we love you. That has nothing to do with the sermon. Just wanted you to know. So let's talk Sermon on the Mount, Matthew. Uh, from now until Easter, we're going to be taking a Uh, a deeper dive, a deeper look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and consider what human flourishing looks like. Uh, Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes, where Jesus is laying the foundation for the kind of society the church is supposed to be, uh, which means he's laying the the, the foundation for the kind of life that you are supposed to live. And this week, uh, he's going to build on that foundation, and I want to begin with a question. What's most important to you? I mean, what, what is most important to you? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what do you want to accomplish in your life? Now, to answer that question, uh, baked into that answer is going to be um, identity, right? Who you are. That's going to inform your answer. So, for example... Um, I would never say to you, here's the driving goal of my life, to win a World Series. I don't play baseball. Not professionally, not as an amateur. I would never say it's the goal of my life, it's not who I am. Identity is baked into how you would answer that question, and if you were to sit down, uh, get out a sheet of paper, and just start writing down the, uh, the, the goals, the this is what I want to accomplish in my life. This is what's most important to me. This is the ambition of my life. What you'll be doing is you'll be uh, writing down the who, the what, and the why of a personal mission statement. In our text today, we are looking at the mission statement for the Sermon on the Mount. We are looking at the who, the what, the why of the Sermon on the Mount, and it is, in no uncertain terms, a clarion call from Christ to you, to us. 
It is the mission statement that is to surpass all mission statements in your life, in our life. And so let's get into the text and see what Jesus has to say to us. So our text opens um, with two metaphors, salt and light. Uh, These are vivid, practical, compelling illustrations by Jesus. There's a debate, a historic debate, as to how these two metaphors are to be taken. Are they uh, two separate metaphors or are they one overlapping metaphor? In other words, do they have two separate points or do they have one point? And I think the answer is uh, that they have independent practical uh, applications, but they come together to make one overlapping theological point. And when they overlap, they form the who of the who, what, and why. And so we're going to look at them both practically first, uh, and then we'll bring them together and see what they have to say about us. So verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but a salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, in, in these days, salt, um, it, it certainly was used for seasoning, but that wasn't the normal usage of salt in this day. It was generally used as a preservative. You put salt into meat to prevent decay or, uh, or at least to slow the decaying process down. Now, um, he, here's what's important, I think, for you to know uh, to understand this illustration. One, uh, you, you didn't just sprinkle a little bit of salt on the outside of the meat and then just hope that it would work. You, you, you put the salt on and you had to rub it in. Like you had to get it into the meat in order for it to um, prevent decay. And then two, uh, it, it was valuable. Like salt was a commodity. Jew, Jew Greek, anybody in this day, uh, it was a commodity. It wasn't just something that sat inside our cabinets where you get to choose fine or sea salt, right? Or I guess coarse or fine. It was a commodity uh, in this day. And here's why it's important that you know that. When Jesus is using this illustration of you are the salt of the earth, this metaphor, he's making a statement about society in doing so. He's saying that society is generally marked by decay. Human relationships, the world as it is, it's, it's generally marked by decay. And that to be salt, to be the salt of the earth, means to get into the decay. Like to get yourself, to get your life, to get it into the decay of the world and to be a preservative. Right? Don't just sprinkle a little bit of yourself around thinking, I, I wish I could do something, but actually get yourself deep rubbed, integrated into the decay of the world deep into the brokenness of the world. And then second, he's saying something about you, that you are a commodity, that you are valuable in the world. Your presence in the world is important. Jesus is saying something. He's saying that my church in my world matters. Listen, there are a lot of important things about your life. Every one of us, we could sit down, we could have some coffee, we could list out things that you see as important about your life, and I would probably say you're right to every single one of them, but listen, there is nothing in your life more important than hearing the words from Jesus, follow me. Nothing. Everything else is subordinate to the command from Jesus to follow me. 
But he didn't just give a metaphor, did he? It was a metaphor with a qualifier. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste. What's he saying? Well, there's a perfectly good word for taste in the Greek language, but Jesus didn't use it. There's a perfectly good word for salt losing its saltiness, but he didn't use that word either. The the word translated lost its taste is the word foolish. Two examples, Romans 1, uh, 1 Corinthians, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Same word. Same word that Jesus used right here. What could he possibly mean by sticking the word foolish into this metaphor, this illustration? Well, first, Proverbs, the book in the Old Testament, how to live as the covenant community. The, the, the fool or foolishness, it's the opposite of wisdom. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to use the same word again. Now, it's the same root word, verb in chapter 5, adjective in chapter 7, but same core meaning to the word in Matthew seven twenty six, where he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man, same word, who built his house on the sands. See, in this qualifier, in this illustration, in this metaphor with a qualifier, Jesus is making a point. Here is his point. You are the salt of the earth. You are meant to get into the decay of the world and be a collective preservative, to be a people who bring about healing in the lives of others and in society. But if you live like the fool and ignore my teachings, you won't be the collective preservative I am creating you to be. You will be agents of decay out in the world. It is a striking statement by Jesus, is it not? A sobering statement by Jesus. So let's take these teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount serious. Let's treat them with a weight and the gravity that they are intended to be received. You are the salt of the earth. That's metaphor one. Now metaphor two, light of the world, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So throughout the scriptures, uh, light, uh, it, it, it exposes evil, reveals truth, but this light right here, it's not light generically, it's light like a city or light like a lamp. Now, most cities in this day, uh, I, I would presume today, although I don't know for sure, uh, most cities, they, they weren't built up on hills. You didn't build them up on plateaus. It was very difficult, very expensive to do so. You build them down to the bottom. You built at the base of the uh, hill plateau. And if you were a city up on a hill, um, at night when lamps were lighting up the city, it wouldn't just provide light to that one city, but it would provide light for miles and miles around it. So when Jesus is saying, um, you're a city on a hill, he he, he is certainly saying, listen, that, uh, you, you're to be a community that exposes uh, evil, reveals the truth, but he's saying much more than that. He's saying you're to be a unique kind of city. 
You're not to be a city just like every other city out there. You're to be a different kind of city, a city that sits up and provides light to cities for miles and miles around it. It's a particular kind of society. This is why John Stott, famous, I don't know famous, I have no idea if he's famous or not, but well-known theologian back uh, in the 70s wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount titled A Christian Counterculture. The, the, the thread is simply this, that, uh, that, that being this uh, alternate counterculture is how you live as a city on a hill. It's the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, how to live as a city set on the hill, as an alternate society. City on a hill is a city more like heaven than Houston. Because in the middle of Jesus' prayer, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, is on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it every single week. On earth as it is in heaven, a city on a hill is a city more like heaven than a city like Houston, a city marked by humility and care and love and prayer. A city on a hill is a city where economics is driven by generosity, not greed, compassion, not competition. It's a city unlike other cities because it engages decay, exposes, and redeems the darkness which takes us to where salt and light overlap, and they overlap in a word, covenant. Covenant. A covenant is a mutually binding relationship, and in the Old Testament, the phrase covenant of salt is used twice, both to make the same point, both to highlight the permanence, uh, the binding nature of the covenants that God enters into, and then light There's light, and we go back to Isaiah 42, this passage that we looked at during Advent because it's about the coming of Christ. And in the middle of Isaiah 42, it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from prisons, those who sit in darkness. Listen, you, you can't talk about salt and light without talking about covenant. And you can't talk about covenant without talking about Christ. Who came to bring the new covenant and to be a light for the nations so that the nations could sing a new song. So the nations could sing, including our neighbors, a new song. We, we just sang, we will sing Hallelujah. We will sing, I'm tempted to sing it right now. I'm not going to. I want you to come back next week. We will sing hallelujah and they will sing hallelujah. Jesus is the salt and the light. He came as salt and light to be salt and light and you can't expose evil and lies any more than he did in his life and you can't get deeper into the decay of the world than he did on the cross. And he's creating a community who would expose uh, uh, evil and darkness out in the world and then get deep into the decay of the world following the example of our Lord. Jesus came as salt and light to establish a community of salt and light, a new kind of community, a different kind of society, a city on a hill. And in this city, its citizens have a job to do. Look at verse 16. In the same way, so in the same way, like 
like a city set on a hill, like a lamp that lights up the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Stop there. What Jesus is saying is not confusing. Jesus, the light of the world, and when you became a Christian, that light penetrated your heart, and Jesus is saying, go and make that light visible. Make it seen, make it known. Be so integrated into society as salt that you live in such a way that you expose evil and darkness as light. Listen, practical example. Your company is just operating in some unethical business practices which eventually hurts someone, right? Because decay spreads. Decay doesn't have walls to it. It spreads. Listen, saying something, it might cost you your job. It'll make you salt and light. Close enough to decay of the world to do something, light enough to expose what needs to be exposed. Getting to know your neighbors. Just building a relationship with your neighbors. Go, going next door, knocking on the door and saying, hey, I'm, you know, we're grilling or we're whatever. Why don't you come on over? We'd love to have you. And then when they come over, do this. Ask what they believe about religion. I know we're not supposed to talk about politics and religion. I have never found that to be the case. I think we're not supposed to talk uncivilly about politics and religion. But civil conversation, I've never found a neighbor not open to that. Have them over. Ask what they believe. This takes courage. Being salt and light is not for the faint of heart. But it's not the road of cowardice that's going to create this kind of community. It's a gospel courage that creates it. Close enough and courageous enough to make Jesus visible, and now he's going to say why. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that, so that, for the purpose of, in order that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The works that it's speaking of, this is the Sermon on the Mount, that it may see your life and the life of your community peering in, looking in, seeing you living this life that leads to the kind of life that everyone wants. It's what human flourishing is. May see it and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And the word good, listen, there, there are two different Greek words for good in the Bible. There's good useful and there's good beautiful. There's good like that wrench is good and good like, oh, I want those fajitas. Right? There's Lowe's and Alma Latina. If you're new, it's the best restaurants in town. If you own a different restaurant, I do apologize for that statement. This is good, beautiful in the text. This is good, beautiful. See, there's a difference in being useful and being compelling. Jesus didn't come to live and to die to create a useful community. 
of course we're to be useful in the world, but he came to create a beautiful community that would be compelling. A compelling community. That's what Jesus came to create. And why is it so important to Jesus? Because it's meant to lead, lead to their seeing and believing. Listen, that, that is how the gospel made it from the story we're reading about to me and you. That somebody saw it as beautiful and compelling and told somebody who then told somebody who then told somebody and eventually thousands of years later, here we are doing what we're doing right now. Not a useful gospel, a beautiful and compelling gospel that would lead to their conversion. Conversion in the ancient world, the conversion in our our modern world, in our neighborhood, among our neighbors, in relationship with them. This is why it's so, like, this is, this is what Jesus wants so bad is for his kingdom to come and then to be multiplied and grow and expand from one person to another, from one neighborhood to another, from one city to another, from nation to another. That it might lead to the conversion of men, women, and children. Listen, who, who in here watches the show This Is Us? Okay, this is awkward. Um, <laughs> One hand. Okay, good. Good. Uh, you should. Um, if you are sappy like me, the show is just perfect. I mean, it's just like, you know, you're judging me for that. Um, if you're not, it's probably just annoying. But it's a show about three siblings, one of them who is adopted. There, there's this scene. There's a scene where the adopted son where the adopted son found out the story of his birth mom and birth dad, and then he's in the car with his wife, and they're driving, and his wife looks at him and says, you're happy. What? What's going on? And this is what he said. He said, I know my birth story. It's not just dropped off at a fire station. It's two people who love me. I know my birth story. The mission statements for the Sermon on the Mount is meant to lead to the birth story for men, women, and children. That men, women, and children would know that our Father is their Father. That there would be a new family lineage, one where you were welcomed in and loved by the Father. The mission statement of the Sermon on the Mount is to say this, this can't terminate with you, but it's to make its way to them. That they, that your neighbor, that my neighbor would sing hallelujah. That's why it matters. That's why it matters that we take seriously the words of Jesus for others to have a birth story. Of course it matters for us. Of course it matters for the life that you and I and we would live together. But the life that you and I and we live together is not meant to terminate on ourselves. So they might have a birth story and sing hallelujah with me. And I know that we are still in a pandemic right now. But I think we need a reminder of why we're here. What it looks like at Sojourn for us to be salt and light. Sojourn, we, 
We never, the, the heartbeat of our church has never been to be a different kind of church. We, we think that there are all kinds of churches out there, and we think that is beautiful and glorious and part of what we love most about our faith. But we do want to be a particular kind of church, one not so focused on come and see, one not so focused on come and see what's happening on a Sunday, one more focused on go and tell. While anyone and everyone is welcomed and wanted here on a Sunday morning, that the primary thrust of who we are is for you to go and to tell, to build a relationship with your neighbors, to go and tell you building relationships with neighbors, getting in there close like salt, deep down into the world. The courage it takes to knock on doors and invite people to dinner. And then for you to expose all of your life authentically and honestly with one another and with your neighbors. And then together to share the gospel continually with one another and with your neighbors. With one another. Why? Because we are prone to forget. And when we forget, we are prone to wander. And we need together to continually remind one another of the gospel and what it means for us. I need it. You need it. We need it continually recycling over and over and over again in our lives. And then for our neighbors, for our neighbors, and listen, if you're a neighbor here right now, if you're a neighbor at home online with us right now, no, no bait and switch. We're not after that. Our aim is that you would love and that you would trust Jesus and that you would know that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. And then we want, as a church, to not just build relationships individually with our neighbors, but to gather together in what we call parishes. We use the word parish because historically that word is a, a particular geography with a minister. And we believe that you have been sent as ministers of reconciliation into the world to get out into that which decays, to be a preservative. You, agents of reconciliation together, and then we start new parishes so that Jesus can become compelling to more and more of our neighbors not just so that he can be useful, although that is where most of us begin. Most of us begin with, my marriage is falling apart, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, and I need some help. I need Jesus to help me. But eventually he's got to go from being useful to being beautiful. Eventually he's got to go from being useful to, to being compelling. Listen, if he remains useful, you will follow him as long as he's meeting the need that you think you need him to meet. But he's got to go from useful it's a beautiful. And in these communities together that we call parishes, we live as salt and light for the healing of our neighborhood. We together can serve schools and shelters. We, we can go to pubs with open Bibles and talk theology. We can throw block parties where we throw out the idea that we're not supposed to talk about religion and politics. But we also have neighbors that we will never reach, and so we plant churches and partner with organizations. And right now, we are in process of planting our sixth sojourn congregation. Our sixth sojourn congregation right now, today, as we speak, Sojourn Oak Forest is holding their second soft launch gathering as they prepped a hard launch on Easter Sunday. One woo, okay. There should have been at least three, I'm going to say. 
Why, why, why plant new churches? I mean, wouldn't it just be better to build this thing that people drove from San Antonio all the way here to see? No. No. We, we plant churches to take the kingdom of God to the doorstep of every man, woman, and child in our city. That's why we dream and beg the Lord not to stop at six, but let us get the 60. So that this gospel, the gospel that has redeemed and reconciled us and invited us in to live out this community of salt and light can make its way to the doorstep. So we don't have to say, hey, come and check us out, but we can say, hey, listen, we're right here. We love you. We're, we're, we're ready to serve and engage when you're ready for us. And then we partner with organizations engaging in justice and mercy to be salt and light for the healing of the most vulnerable in our city. And if you're, unf- if you're unfamiliar, ah, there's so much beauty in the city of Houston, is there not? I don't mean like mountains and stuff, but the people. The people is all we've got, so. There's so much beauty in the city of Houston. And there is so much brokenness. A hub city for human trafficking. Homelessness. Everywhere. So much brokenness. And we get to engage directly and partner with organizations who have particular skill in engaging the most vulnerable and serving and meeting needs. Salt and light. You individually and we together, we have a mission statement that surpasses all mission statements. Here it is. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in God's grand redemptive story, this is our chapter together. For as many years as the Lord sees fit. For as many years as the Lord might have you in Houston. This is our chapter in that grand redemptive story to be salt and light for our neighbors, neighborhood, and our city. Let's take the teachings of Jesus serious. Not just for us, for our own good, but for the good of others. Let's pray. Father, help us to receive these words from Jesus with the power and the seriousness with which he intended them. Help give us the kind of gospel courage it takes to be this kind of people. We know that left to our own devices, We won't be. And so we need your empowerment. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need courage that can only come from you. Help us, we ask, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.